This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we're exploring the book of Acts and then the rest of the New Testament in what we call a chronogeobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then getting into the biographical people and the ge- geography places as they come up in the book of Acts. So that means the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the writings of Peter to get inside of his mind a little bit. But now we come back to the book of Acts and we look more at the ministry of Peter and John as well, as we are exploring what is they are doing as they're establishing Christianity first from Jerusalem, which is exactly what Jesus had told them to do back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so we come to Acts chapter 3 now, and uh, Ben, it's, it's this two-chapter story, really, that is a, a story of great news, followed by terrible news, followed by amazing news, or something like that. So I want to just pick, pick on some of these, what I call crazy statements that appear in the narrative of Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and, and maybe explore them from the perspective of how, how do those speak into our lives in this day? And how are they either excuses that we use or challenges that we face or, or things that we can overcome in a, in a way as we see how these early followers of Jesus were faced with the situation? So the context of the story is that Peter and John were going to church, and actually they were going to the temple. One of the things we often forget is that when they became followers of Jesus, they didn't stop being Jews. They were still going to the Jewish temple. And in this case, it was in the afternoon. It was a time of prayer, stated time of prayer. And they were headed to the temple. And there was a a guy there who was placed there every day. And he was not able to walk. He was They called him a, a lame beggar. I don't know that that's politically correct, but that's what the NIV calls it. And he was a lame beggar, it says, and he was uh, placed there by some friends or family. He was carried there, it says, every day to beg from people who were going to church, who were going to the temple. And so Peter and John are strolling by, and this guy's expecting a handout from them. And the crazy statement to me, crazy, I don't know if it's the right word, but the interesting statement it's in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, when Peter looks at this guy who is hoping for a couple coins so he can have enough food for the day or, or whatever he needs to sustain his life. We know from later in the story, the guy is over 40 years old, and he's, he's been this way his whole life. So he's become a professional beggar, and he's hoping for just a couple of coins. He's hoping for some, some loose change from Peter and John as are passing by. And in, in verse 6, Acts 3, 6, Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. I often wonder if there was a long pause there. To let this sink in, the disappointment in this guy. Like, that's all I want is some of your money. Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. And they're thinking, okay, maybe property. I mean, what, was, what am I going to get that's, that's of equal or better value? What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
a couple things that, that hit me in, as I look at this. First of all, from the perspective of the man, he hears just this phrase, walk. And before they reached out and grabbed him and he stood up and he ends up, spoiler alert, walking. And before that happens, he might have had some level of disappointment that he wants money. And I'm sure he'd been looked at by family and doctors and whomever over the, like over the years. And they were just saying, I'm not going to give you anything except for to walk. And I, and I wonder if he faced some level of disappointment. The other thing I'll toss out is from the perspective of Peter. He could have looked at this like, I've got nothing to give this guy. I'm, I'm going to the temple today. My pockets are empty. I don't have any money on me. I have nothing to give him. And he could have looked at it from the perspective of what we lack, what we don't have. Rather, he looked at it from the perspective of what we possess, what we do have. And he knew he had the authority of the name of Jesus Christ in his pocket. So from those couple perspectives, pick one of them. I don't know, pick both of them, however you want to do Like, Like from this guy's perspective and from their perspective, how does that speak into us when we in life are ministering or are ministered to by people out of the abundance of what they have when the hope or the expectation could be for something completely different than what's being, it's what's being offered in that moment. Am I making any sense at all? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I good. Think so. so, I mean, I don't so, know. Well, that's uh, not unusual. Not, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> make you're sense make, of it, brother. Yeah, you're making sense. No, I, you know, one of the things, and it just occurred to me, uh, which I find fascinating, Peter sets Jesus against silver and gold constantly. Yep. Um, I just was thinking about this because in First Peter, which we talked about what, last week, uh, one of the things, or, or two weeks ago, one of the things that we saw in First Peter is Peter sets, he makes the point that Jesus's, uh, that our redemption was purchased by Christ. It cannot be purchased by silver or gold. And then he sets our eternal inheritance against silver and gold, that there is a, 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 a treasure of much more infinite worth that will not, uh, that's imperishable, that will not spoil or fade, and then here again, he sets Jesus against silver and gold. You think and it's because Jesus called him out of his fishing boat and said, "Man, that was your career. That was that was your way of making money. Leave it." Yeah, and and what and it was Peter. You know, Jesus and Peter have this conversation. Uh, you know, I think it's in Matthew sixteen, but uh, when when uh, Peter confesses Christ, I think it's there. But Peter makes the comment, "You know, we've left everything for you." Um, and so to, to that end, yeah, that, that might be an aspect that conditions Peter's heart that he sees Christ as the ultimate treasure, the one true treasure that, again, is, not, is never going to spoil or fade. Um, the, one, the, the one thing that is certain is the salvation that comes uh, through Jesus Christ. And so he sets Jesus against uh, the silver and gold that the the man is wanting and desiring, and Peter's like, I've got something of infinite worth uh, to give you. Uh, I have Jesus, and I think to us that should, in essence, not not to say that there's not a need to meet material needs as we can, uh, the needs that are existent. You know, we are called to 
when to, to feed the hungry. The reality is, is that there is a greater need that all of humanity shares in, and it's our need uh, for Jesus Christ. And so recognizing that as we go um, to, to feed the hungry, there is a deeper need that is before us um, that we need to be pouring into the lives of other people as well as into our own life because we constantly wrestle with this tension between the things of this, this earth that are perishing, that are fading away, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, that tension between the treasures of this world and the one who is the greatest of all treasures. So after, after they gave him this true treasure of words, they said, walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then the next verse says, taking him by the right hand, he helped the guy up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. One of my friends, Dr. Steve Herbst, is an ankle surgeon. And I asked him about this passage one time. I said, you know, talk to me about this. This guy's never walked. From birth, he couldn't walk. And here he is, 40-plus years old, and, and now instantly they become strong. I said, in layman's terms, can you tell me what would have had to happen to his bones in order to be able to do that? And he said something like, uh, first of all, you're not smart enough to understand my answer. I think that's, that's what I remember him saying. But he basically said, it's not just the bones. It's the bones. It's the tendons. It's the muscles. And he went on and on and on for all the things that would have had to have be, be miraculously strengthened and, and put, into, put into place and, and to work. And it was a majestic miracle. It, he, he described it as like, this is, this is on par with any of the greatest miracles ever done in the Bible. And um, so thank you, Dr. Herbst, for, for teaching me about that. And I wish I could do justice to um, what, you, what you taught me about it. But so any, nonetheless, this guy's walking. He's, now he's not only just standing up, he's jumping, he's dancing, he's hopping up and down, the Bible says. And of course, the people that are around him, like, that's the guy, right? That we've for 40 years passed over. You know how it is. You like look the other way, pretend you don't see him kind of a deal. Eyes avert. And they said, well, we know this guy. He's been here for, for decades. And yep, that's him. Now he's, he's jumping around. And so Peter and John get this following. I mean, the guy's clutching onto them. Like you can imagine. And I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like a bro hug that just won't, it won't break up. I mean, he's just like holding onto them. And the, but the other, the crowd starts running to, to Peter and John, like you guys are phenomenal. You're, you're superheroes. And I love this next statement in, in verse 12, chapter three, verse 12 of Acts, when they say this, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Ben, to me, that, that brings a lot of things to my, to my mind. There is a temptation that's real to make everything all about me. There's a temptation for pastors to make the rise and fall of the church all about me. There's a temptation for believers to make anything we do, any service we provide, all, you know, all about me. And in this moment, when Peter, I mean, Peter's the man, at, at this moment, he, 
he's the man. I mean, he gives a sermon and 3,000 people become believers. I don't know what the best response to any of your sermons has ever been, but mine's about uh, a lot less. And and so, you know, he's he's it. He's, he's doing these marvelous, amazing things. And, and yes, he, he did it in the name of Jesus Christ. But as they're coming to him, he right away puts his arm out, arm's length, and says, whoa, 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 back up. It's not about us. This is not about us at all. We didn't do this. Speak to me a little bit about that, that temptation to make it all about me and what we need to do to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Peter here images, I think for us all, what it is to live in relationship with Christ, which is, you know, we're not here to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Jesus. And into that, it's just a revelation of, uh, of Peter's own heart, of his own life, that his one concern is to make Christ known in this world. And that's it. To where, as we're going to see here uh, later in the chapter, um, even in the presence of persecution, in the presence of physical uh, potential physical harm, even death, uh, Peter continues to proclaim Christ and do it with great joy. And we see the response of the the the, the crippled beggar here. You know, he's healed, and immediately he starts jumping up and down and praising God, and this joy fills his life. Through Christ and his salvation, we've received a greater healing, a more miraculous healing and being brought into relationship with God. And when I encounter the response of the beggar, I'm like, is that the, is that the response of my own heart? Am I filled with the joy of my salvation? Because if I am, then Christ is going to be the one who is, is sitting on the throne of my heart and my life is going to be lived for the sake of his good pleasure. And so it's not about me. It's not about making much of my own name, but making much of Jesus to where the ultimate legacy I want to leave behind in this world, you know, one day when they lower Greenbaum into the grave in his LSU hoodie somewhere in New Orleans. Uh, Which might the, be how you come to your <laughs> that Come end. to my end. That's right. That's true. Uh, what happened to him? Oh, he was shot he was by an Alabama. Alabama fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when that when that happens, the one thing that I, I hope and pray will be said is that Ben loved Jesus. And I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. that can be the whole of the funeral message. Ben loved Jesus. He hopes you love him too. Have a nice day. Go get some lunch. Because that's it. That's the whole of it. And so in my relationship with my family and relationship with my kids and the, the, in essence, the, the legacy I leave behind, my, my hope and prayer is that it's not, oh, what a great guy Ben was or whatever people might say about me, but that, man, the guy really loved Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's all, that's all we have in the end because the temptation is fleeting to, to make it about us, and it, it will never be satisfying if, if we succeed at making it about us, so to speak, from the public's point of view, it, it will never really scratch the itch of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, I, and it seems like Peter's grasping this. We know he's, he's a work in progress in his life, and he seems like he's getting a hold of this, this truth now that, now that he's Charles in charge and you know, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's the leader of the church. I mean, he's got 
he's got to figure out, right? Like what's the priority going to be? And, and he wanted to make sure that the church Christianity was built on the foundation of Christ and nobody else. So he, he's very clear about it that, Hey, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And it seems to satisfy everybody except the religious leaders. And that's in chapter four. Now, the, the temptation to, to take the positives and make it about me can be matched by the pressure to take the challenges and say, hey, it's not me. And that's what really I think I see happening in chapter four. When the religious authorities, the Sanhedrin, made up of all these religious scholars in Jerusalem, take these guys, they hear what's going on, they throw them in jail for the night, and they, they bring them out the next morning. They don't know what to do with them exactly. They, they're hearing what they're saying, but it's opposite of what they believe. It's the same guys, same people, same names that we saw that were there, Caiaphas, for example. Same names who orchestrated the death of Jesus just a couple months earlier. And now here they are, and, and they're saying, we can't get this Jesus to go away because these guys are proclaiming things in the name of Jesus and healing people in the name of Jesus and, and telling people that the resurrection of Jesus is real. And, and this was doing them in. So they, they gave them a command. The, the religious leaders gave them a command. They ordered them. They ordered them to spot, stop speaking any further in the name of Jesus. And that comes to my third statement. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, when, when Peter and John are there and they're, they're being ordered never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they look at these religious authorities who basically were in charge of everything. I mean, they, they had the power. And he, they looked at them and said, verse 19 and 20, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I don't know which was harder, for them to, to fend off the crowd who was adoring them or for them to stand up to the persecutors who could have thrown them in jail the rest of their life, could have had them put to death, could have had them flogged and did in, in, in time to come. I, which is tougher for them? And the, I mean, this is like happening in real time in their lives when they're having to make these decisions, how to respond. And it's a re- remarkable statement for somebody who's pressuring you. Should I listen to you or should I listen to God? Yeah, it's two sides of the, the same coin, really, I, I think. Um, there's an aspect of... You know, self-preservation on one side relative to the uh, the Sanhedrin persecuting them, uh, calling them and asking and declaring for them to stop uh, proclaiming Christ and threatening them. And then on the, the flip side, it's the uh, casting off the potential glory from healing uh, this man. And, and real quick, as we as we start to begin, as we begin to see the persecution that's going to break out against uh, against Peter and, and John and, and the rest of the guys, uh, one of the things you know, last podcast talked about uh, the where my certainty relative to Scripture 
uh, comes from, and a lot of it is, it's born and centered in the resurrection of Christ. And this is one of those passages that was one of those convincing tools in essence that to me revealed was one of those, and there's a multitude of them, but one of those uh, historical revelations of the truth of Jesus's resurrection, because Peter and John won't stay silent. And they see the authority of Christ bound up in his resurrection uh, from the grave. And so you've got these guys who were incredibly, not not just timid, but fled uh, from Christ at his arrest and now are refusing to be silent. The other side of that is you've got these religious leaders who all they needed to do was go and drag Jesus's body out of the tomb to silence Peter and John. Uh, it, it would have it would have completely diminished and demolished the crowds around them if they had produced Christ's body. And yet we're only a few days, uh, in essence, a, a few weeks post resurrection. They know exactly where they, where Jesus has been buried, and yet they cannot produce the body of Christ to refute these guys. So what is their impulse? Their first impulse is we're just going to tell them we're going to exercise our our authority, our standing in the community tell these guys to be silent. They know what we can do to them if they don't, if, if they don't shut it. And, uh, and they continue to proclaim Christ to where, you know, we jump over into to, uh, a little bit later in Acts and they're persecuting them. They're beating them. And then they still won't be quiet. And then a few more chapters later, we get to Stephen and what do they do? They kill him. And so that's their response. It's not an argument. It's not to pr- produce Jesus's body because they can't which would have completely shut down the whole narrative, would have shut down these guys. Nobody would have gone following after them, and yet they could not silence them. They couldn't silence them with their threats. They couldn't silence them with their arguments. And uh, Peter and John and the rest of the apostles, enlivened by the presence of the Holy Spirit, enlivened, uh, enlivened by the resurrection of Christ, they continue to proclaim Christ and live into Jesus' call to be his witnesses. That's what Jesus has told them to go do, and they go do it. Yeah, they, they go do it to even to the point where this, this fourth episode is now Peter and John go back to the other believers. This is to their own people. So here they've been with this, this man and brought healing through the name of Jesus Christ, and then they were with the onlookers who were crowding around them and wanting to make them some kind of gods. And they said, no way. Then they were with the religious scholars who were diminishing their work. And they said, listen, we're going to listen to God. But then they went back to the believers. And I, I sometimes wonder like, if this might have been, this had the potential to be perhaps the most dangerous part of the journey for mm-hmm. them. Because sometimes you get surrounded by your own people and you begin to tell the story. And it says they did that. They said, it told them everything that that the chief priests and all these religious people had said. And sometimes you get with people like, well, don't do that again. And don't take that risk. And that, that's too dangerous. And, and we've, we've got to stay away from those guys. We need to do this in secret. But that's not what the church did. That's not what the believers did. They busted out in prayer. I mean, right away, it says they just, they went to God in prayer. And it wasn't the kind of prayer that, that I would expect. It, it wasn't like God protect us from these rotten people and and spare us from them. And when we're doing ministry, please keep us safe. Give us traveling mercies. You know, our, our prayers, it was... Hedge of it, protection. Don't forget the hedge it, of protection. Yeah, give us the hedge of... It wasn't that at all. It was, listen in verse 29. I'm in Acts chapter 4. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. What? They were threatened by these religious leaders, the same people who put Jesus to death. And they said, Lord, I want you to consider their threats. And now would you enable us to speak your word with even more boldness? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That is some holy boldness. Yeah, and, and it goes to the, the point that, that I, I find myself, and, and both of us really, I mean, I think that we, we try to press in uh, to our own lives and into the lives of others, is that our prayer lives are a window into where our hearts are rooted and so within a Western context, it reveals kind of the, the idolatry of, of, uh, of our context, the idea that the things that drive us typically to pray are material and physical and not relative to our relationship specifically with Christ. Not that we don't pray for healing and all these things, but how often do we pray to grow up into the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ? How often do we pray for boldness to declare and to proclaim the gospel. And so we see this out of the Apostle Paul as well. In Ephesians chapter 6, you know, Paul wrote to the church uh, in Ephesus uh, from jail, and he closes out, uh, and, you know, Paul, you know, the dude that we know is being as bold as anybody, Paul closes out his letter to the, the church in Ephesus, and he says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Mm. And so is that where our prayer lives are rooted, that, dear God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cause me, compel me, lead me, direct me to boldly proclaim Christ, to share Christ with others, to live into Jesus' call, to go and make disciples, uh, to bear witness to him. Ooh, man, that was like a... Heads of protection prayer there. Do you? <laughs> that, was, that was powerful. We are called to that kind of boldness. I, I agree with you, brother. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap this up, and next week we'll be looking at the letters of John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote in the book of Revelation, but he also wrote these little letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we're going to take a peek into to that a bit as we digress again from the book of Acts in our, in our study this year. And we'll be, we'll be looking maybe uh, intently at the love one another concept that John has, is challenging us to think about. Remember, this is not put out in chronological order, but we're trying to get in the minds and the hearts of the people who are doing it. So with all this activity of Peter and John, we've looked at Peter's letters. Now we'll stop and take a look at John's letters. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or go find our app and click on the Be On Mission link. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.